talking about things that I found interesting and things that apply to me right now. And that might be because I'm a millennial and I need to be constantly stimulated. Um, Or maybe it's a sign of something else, but that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today is the mind. Okay? Um, The passage that we have is 2 Peter 3, and I really um, don't appreciate that Kelly gave me this passage. And he foreshadowed it saying that I needed somebody who went to Bible school to talk about this apocalyptic scripture, which is really, um, can be very polarizing. Because did you know that we all don't agree on what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? Now, we all agree Jesus is going to come back, but we don't all agree on exactly how that's going to happen. Nod your head if you kind of, have you ever had this conversation? Yeah. So we're going to do a little exercise. And it's going to be fun for me. It might not be fun for all of you. Ronnie, I'm glad you're here. So I'm going to ask a few of you questions, and I'm just going to call you out. And I'm going to ask you to um, exegete very quickly this passage and explain it to all of us in a way that we'll all understand. Sound simple? Okay, so the first one is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Okay? Now, Ronnie, can you explain to us what this means? I'll read it. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Take a moment. What does this mean? Yeah, really good. This is a pretty common thing. A lot of us have heard this passage. We may not have remembered that that was right here, right, in 2 Peter chapter 3. But we're familiar with this concept that time doesn't mean the same thing to God as it does to us, right? Now, I'm going to ask somebody else, but I'm going to ask somebody to raise their hand. Is there anyone brave in here? All right, Mike. So I'm going to start in the back half of verse 10. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. If you look in verse 13, but in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. What does this mean? So for me, I I would take that to mean that uh, the earth is going to, as we currently understand it, be destroyed. See, the part of this passage that I find difficult, it's not the new earth, right? It's the fact that the heavens are going to be destroyed. Did you guys see that in the passage? What I, when I read that, I say, I really don't want to teach an entire Bible class on that. Because I don't know what that means. And I want to be very honest. Like, I know there's a lot of theory. You can read commentaries and you'll get a lot of different insights. But outside of this passage, there's a few other passages that talk about this. I really don't understand why the heavens are being destroyed as well. And I wish I could stand here in front of you and say with certainty and tell you exactly what that means. 
So my follow-up question is, does this matter? Does it matter? Does this passage, does the heavens being destroyed, does it matter? I want to ask this rhetorically because how many times do we read something in the Bible that is incredibly complicated, it seems very contextual and situational, and sometimes we just throw our hands up in the air and say, I don't think this matters. Have you ever said this? Yeah. Or another situation, maybe you've had a conversation with somebody. You start getting a little theological. Um, I have these kinds of conversations with my mother-in-law a lot, uh, with Linda. And we'll talk for a little bit. I like to use her as a sounding board. And about five minutes into the conversation, she'll usually throw her hands up in the air and say, I don't care, this doesn't matter. Why does that happen? Any, anybody? Or is this an experience that only I've had? Oh, I've, yes, I'm so intelligent that that's not true. In fact, I, I am not smarter than she is. She, in fact, it's funny because when you think about the people that know the most about the Bible, like who actually know the most about the Bible and the facts about the Bible and stories of the Bible, is it ever the scholar? It's people like Linda, right? People who've been reading it every day their whole life and knows a lot more than I do. But we sometimes feel this fatigue, right, around some of these deeper concepts. And it's easy to kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, this really doesn't matter to me. Uh, when I read Second Peter chapter 3, there's a lot of things in here that, that are not necessarily meant, in my opinion, to be, they weren't meant for teaching as much as closing remarks and Peter's trying to make a point. But it does bring us to kind of another point is how we read the Bible and how serious do we take the things in the Bible and what should our approach be with that? Is anyone in here familiar with uh, the Shema? Can anyone tell us what that is? Or the greatest commandment? Ronnie, do you know what it is? Yeah, Lord your God is one. And what's the other part of this, this old greatest command? Do you know what this is? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and in the way it's translated sometimes, it's soul and strength, right? The idea being love God with everything you got. You know, the spiritual, the mental, the physical, the emotional, all of it, every component. And now that it, it's a little different in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament, but it is this thing that Israel lived by. Love the Lord your God with everything. And it is something as Christians that Jesus called us to live by. Um, the second being, love your neighbor as yourself. I want to focus on one part of this commandment. Loving the Lord your God with all of your mind. The reason I want to talk about this is because this is a passage I don't really understand. And I was very tempted in preparation for this to kind of just say, I don't think this matters. But there's something that feels really inherently wrong about looking at something in the Bible and saying, this just doesn't matter. Right? Um, I want to ask, how many of the Ten Commandments do you guys remember? Can you raise your hand if you're like, I know all of them with certainty? Dana does? I'm not going to make you recite it. It's okay. I have mercy on my wife. Um, but yeah, so this is one of those things. But if we like, if I read them all out like this, you'd all say, oh, I remember this, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. 
You shall not take the Lord's name, God, in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. Do not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Now, I remember when I was growing up, I was always kind of told, like as a, a baseline, things in the Old Testament were fine, but really it's the New Testament you need to pay attention to. Have you ever heard anything kind of like this? Are these commandments important? Can you give me an example? Which one of these would be important to you? What? Most of them are important. How about do not murder? Do you find that important? You think so? Yeah, I would agree. I think most of us would agree. I'm trying to see if there's any heads. Okay. What about adultery? Is that important? To not commit adultery? Sure. Do not steal. These are pretty basic. You learned this in school, right? Don't steal. If you steal, do you get in trouble? Oh, okay. You often get in trouble for stealing. Good. Um, But all of these are important. Does Bible facts matter? Do Bible facts matter? Does knowing things about the Bible matter? And I want to ask this question and preface it a little bit with, sometimes there is this growing uh, movement that says, Knowing things about the Bible is not nearly as important as faith, right? And I think a lot of us will agree. Faith in Jesus Christ and hearing the gospel is at the center of what it is to be Christian. And you see that in the Bible with a lot of the people that Jesus interacted with, right? You know, you have the Samaritan woman and you have these other examples of people who came into contact with Jesus, were told to go and live their life differently. But it brings us back Does knowing the Bible and knowing things in the Bible and stories in the Bible and facts about the Bible, is this important? And this is where I'd like to hear from some of you. What do you think? If you think it's important, why? Why is it important? How else are you supposed to know Jesus? If you don't know nothing about the Bible, Okay, good. Anybody else? It helps us understand who this God is that we worship. Sure. It reveals knowledge and truth. Sure. What do you mean it reveals knowledge and truth? Uh, we extend that scripture represents truth. And we search that out. We understand it. Yeah. You know, there was a time, it's interesting, when we read the Bible and you think about these early days of the church, they did have access to some scripture, right? And they had access to some of the, even some of the letters that we had, but for the most part, how were people converted, you know, to Christ? Do you guys know? Word of mouth. And that was the gospel. They would tell the story of Jesus. They would tell about God. And in one way we could look at that as saying, well, we don't need the Bible, But an even better way of looking at that is saying, how blessed are we that we have all of this written down? That we can read this story and we can share this with more certainty because we know what we're reading and we know who wrote it. And we can share this with other people. I want to read a passage. This is from Romans chapter 12. It's verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your 
mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul in Romans, he was making this point that by having an understanding and knowledge of God, you will be able to use that to have discernment. Right? Discernment where we're able to make good decisions, we're able to make godly decisions or faithful decisions. Um, another verse is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. But as for you, continue to what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know these from who you learned it, and who from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there's obviously there's lots of passage that is talking about this idea of be in the scripture, gain more knowledge, and that knowledge should help us in our faith, right? But the question I have is when you hear, love the Lord God with all of your mind, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to love God with your mind? Let that sink in for a second. I'd like to hear some of your opinions on this or perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else? What is the mind? Anybody know? It's the vehicle that we think with. That's a really good way of putting it. Very good. Anybody else? Okay. So kind of like the brain, right? Yeah. Sure. Any other thoughts on what is our mind? Kind of like a, like a fit for a horse. It steers, it steers us. Like there's parts of our reactions to the world that we just we really can't control. We call them emotions. They just happen. Uh, but I think over time as we shape our mind, if we're intentional or you maybe even unintentional about it, but that, that slowly influences the way we react to kind of the world around us, right? It sharpens us. But, you know, it's one thing to go out on the soccer field and just let my body do its thing and play. Sure. It's another thing to sit down and watch game footage and figure out how should I position myself better? How can I see the game differently, right? Mm-hmm. So the mind actually influences kind of that more instinctual side. Sure. So it's like, that's, that's a really interesting statement. So on one, on one side, the mind is, it's an intentional thing. It's for preparation. We use it as a filter. We think and we project. But if we're not careful, the mind can be something that's more reactionary than we like. Um, Do you guys believe that, that we can flood our mind with bad things? And then our mind is kind of going to be predispositioned to think a certain way, if that makes sense. Um, If we're constantly, I'll give you an example. I I struggle a lot with this during the fall. Um, I'm a really big Dallas Cowboys fan. I really like the NFL. So sometimes I'll come into church and all I've been thinking all week is about the NFL and I find it really difficult to focus in church because I know a bunch of games are about to happen. Because that's where my mind is focused. Have you guys ever had this experience or am I alone? Okay, cool. I can tell. Um, (laughs) Clever. Um, 
There was a theologian in the late 1700s named John Wesley, and we don't have to go too much into him, but he had this, there's this concept that's been formed around his teachings called Wesley's Quadrilateral. Um, But the basic premise of that is people come to Christ or come to know God um, through four basic areas. Um, And these areas are scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. So I'll say that again. One of the ways that people come to know God would be through scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Now, I want to ask all of you real quick, and somebody raise your hand, which one of these do you think is the most important? Scripture. Which one of you, which one of these do you think is the least important? Okay, so you just became the model of the ideal church of Christ. Because this is how every church of Christ would answer this question. What's interesting is when I was in Bible school, they had us rank these as kind of a, just kind of like a little social study. And turns out, because I had a lot of different people from different backgrounds, we didn't all answer this the same way. Um, there was one person in the class that put tradition first. Does anyone want to guess what background they came from? Yeah, Catholic. And they, we talked about that. And that was because in, their, in that tradition was incredibly important. And that was kind of how he came to know God or came into faith or religion, right? Um, but as Church of Christ, we view it as scripture. And then we have some other form of ranking. Now, experience is another one of these. That Sometimes in our brother, we'd find this to be a really complicated one and one we wouldn't want to lean on, right? Have you ever heard this? It's part of the reason that sometimes in the Church of Christ, you wouldn't hear a whole lot of conversation about what? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not as true anymore, I don't think. I think especially in this church. Even in our Bible lesson today, there was great mention of the Spirit. But I think a lot of us, if we're honest, growing up, was there a lot of Bible lessons on the Spirit? Not that many. But the point that John Wesley makes, it's not that these are all unimportant except for Scripture, but that Scripture should be the filter that you view everything else. What about reason? Is reason, or being reasonable, is that important to somebody who's coming to know God? I'll give you an example. There was a time, and I talked to people, like if you talk to people who... uh, you know, were adults in the 60s and 70s, there was a time where you could grab the Bible on a Sunday afternoon, sit down with somebody who wasn't a believer, have them read the Bible, and it was very meaningful. It was transformative, and that might be enough to make someone go, you know what, I need to live my life differently. A totally unchurched person. Do any of you remember these days? No? Um, but they're talked about sometimes, and there's this expectation sometimes in missions um, and outreach that go read the Bible with people, they will come to church. I'll tell you, as a missionary, it doesn't work very well anymore. Um, if you read the Bible with somebody who's an atheist, what's their problem with it? Like, why doesn't that work? Any ideas? They what? Yeah, they're totally not open. They already don't, maybe they don't like the book. Maybe they have problems with the book. Maybe they think Jesus wasn't a historical person. All of these are reasons why this person might not be receptive to a relationship with Christ. The reason aspect of faith is very important. 
Um, if I asked you right now, do you guys believe that Jesus was a historical person? I think most of us would say yes. That's very important to us. That's partly because we read it in the Bible, but that's also because we believe historically that Jesus came and he died. And then the thing that separates us from most people, because a lot of people will accept that, it's that he was raised and was actually the son of God. But that's part of our history. That's reason. Um, but that's part of the mind. These are all things um, that, we, that are important to us. We use the mind to reason. We use the mind to strategize. Um, the mind is conscious and active. But the mind can also be acting subconsciously. And that's something to um, keep in mind. Another question. Is the mind morally good or evil? I'm sorry? I say neither. Really? Good. Uh, so the mind's a blank slate, right? So like when a baby is born, is their mind good, evil? They probably only want one or two things, right? Or what is it? Three things. Anybody else? Does anybody think the mind is morally good, evil? You think the mind is selfish? Why? Okay, sure, I can see that perspective. Anybody else? It's got this idea of what's controlling the mind. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a it's a really it's a really interesting concept, right? And this isn't we're certainly not the first group of people who have ever asked this question, right? Is man good or bad? Um, but the idea is we are. It's kind of like what, what's the old saying? You are what you eat, right? If you eat bad things. Bad results, eat good things, good results. The mind's kind of the same way. What you put in your mind uh, will help shape you. Is the mind easily swayed? Yeah. Is everybody's mind easily swayed? No. I'm also pretty stubborn. Really? Yeah, see, that's, it's funny because I asked this question and I feel like the answer should be, oh, yeah, everyone's a leaf blowing in the wind. Um, my best friend, uh, JP, um, he will easily bend on any subject at any time. Um, it's very easy to convince him of anything. Um, and sometimes my friends and I, we would just do it to be funny. Try to convince him of something that's a lie because we're bad people, just to see him change his mind. Um, but we've met people who are the opposite, right? Have you ever met somebody who cannot change their mind? Okay, so we see that we're dealing with a lot of different kinds of people in regards to the mind. Some people are very impressionable. They're very open. They're very receptive. When we hear new things about God, some people can take that and apply it. Last week we were talking a lot about false prophets from Second Peter chapter 2. Can this be a dangerous thing if our mind is an open book all the time and has no filter? Absolutely. Um, but sometimes, is it dangerous if our mind... Always is closed. What could happen if we never open our mind? We'll learn much. No, we won't learn much. Though you don't have to learn much if you already know everything, right? (laughs) 
That was uh, I wouldn't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was uh, it was always funny. That was kind of how my mom was with me growing up. She was like she had all the answers, and it was my job to ask her for all the answers. But as I got older, I realized, oh, she doesn't have all of the answers. And in fact, she has some really wacky ways of doing things. And sometimes it's good to learn and to um, adjust. But it is an important thing just to keep in mind that we need to learn. Learning is so important. And I want to bring this back to what we were originally talking about. When I look at Second Peter chapter 3, it was so easy for me to look at the heavens being destroyed and the earth being destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth and just going to go, how does this apply to me? This doesn't matter. I don't want to spend another second thinking about this. Because for me, all I want to, I, I was talking with you, Michael, it's like all I want to talk about is Jesus. All I care about is like if you lift me in the Sermon on the Mount, I'm good, Right? I feel like I can live my life, I can live my life like Jesus, that's all I really need. But is it wise for me to neglect these other things in the Bible that might be a little over my head? That's kind of the question. And sometimes I feel like we all have a resistance to certain types of theology because it's scary, or it's divisive, or we're really afraid that we're going to get to the end of the conversation and not have a clear answer. I know Rochelle and I have had conversations like this, and we get to the end, and we've never, we haven't really made much progress, have we? No, because we really don't know what the answer is to that. And I want to ask you, like, have you guys heard the difference? Do you guys know what absolute truth is? I know, Ronnie, you've talked about this in Bible class. What's absolute truth? Really good. And what's the, what's the opposite or what, what usually goes partnered with absolute truth? You guys know the term for this? Very good. Relativity or relative truth, right? And what's, can somebody describe what's relative truth? Yeah, it's circumstantial. Um, like, to, I'll give you an example of what's relative truth. I'm having a great day. That's true for all of you. Is that true? No, that's relative. Um, but if I said, we are in a building, I'd hope that most of us would say that's absolute. Some people would say, no, that's not the world I live on. And that's where things get a little complicated, right? Is sometimes things that we believe are absolute, does, if everyone doesn't agree on that, it gets complicated. Uh, C.S. Lewis had, have you guys ever read Mere Christianity? Um, it was one of uh, C.S. Lewis' books, but he has this idea that's called the, um, it's the law of human nature. And ba- the basic premise of it is, is two people get on a bus, one person's about to sit down, and the other person says, hey, that's my seat, I saw it first. And the other person says, no, it's my seat, because I'm sitting down in it right now. Who's right? Some of us have been in a similar situation. You said, no, whoever got there first, and the other person needs to back off. But there's this idea that we create laws that we think um, are important. 
Maybe you met people who grew up in church and they said, hey, I am a back row churchgoer, meaning I get the back row in the congregation every time. And if someone came and sat in their row, there's trouble. And the reason they usually want the back row is they want to be able to sneak in at the end and then they want to go and eat first, right? I don't know if that's a thing here, but in Texas it was like a really big deal to get to the restaurant right when it opens. Um, but we have these laws that we say this is what is right. And we create these laws around ourselves. And I would really um, recommend that if you guys haven't read you know, any C.S. Lewis, it's worth reading. Um, so this kind of brings us back to what Steve was saying. We can make up all sorts of laws. And even the most faithful of us um, who are following God's law and creating that, we still, in our mind, make up other laws that we find to be really important and to be pillars of what we believe, but are really based on nothing. Have you guys ever had the experience where there's something you thought was important your entire life, and one day you woke up and, re- and realized this isn't important at all? Have you ever had this yet? I'm 27, and I've already had this experience, so I assume some of us have. Um, but it's really, really important um, that we realize these tendencies and continue to dive back into Scripture and use that as our guiding point for what is important. Um, instead of saying, what makes me mad, what makes me upset, um, how would Jesus react to this? What was important to Jesus? What were the guidelines that he lived his life by? The hardest part about this concept is how do we discipline ourselves? Because we can all agree that for this to be something that we do well, we, would, we need some discipline, right? How do we go about disciplining our mind? Any suggestions? How? Yeah, being aware of what we put in. Is being aware enough? Yeah, making reasonable decisions. Anybody else, any thoughts on that? How do we stay disciplined in our mind? Paul says he is captive every thought. Yep. He also says, uh, what is it? Uh, even though all is permissible, not everything is beneficial, right? Paul says a lot of things. It's hard to uh, apply them all. Um, yeah, take captive every thought. What do you guys think? Take captive every thought, is that important? One of the hardest things, what time do we end? Right now? What time do we end? Five minutes? Um, this idea of taking captive every thought, what I would end with and what I'd recommend to all of us is there is a danger into letting everything in. Um, there is. Um, I'd like to say there's not because I'm the kind of person who I like television. And I like a good story, and I'm willing to overlook a lot of things because I think the story's good, or in the books I read. But there is a real danger in letting everything in. It can shape our mind. Um, We can become corrupt in that way. However, there's also a real danger if we don't let anything in. Uh, When I go back to this passage about the heavens and the earth, I want to know more about that. That feels really hard and really difficult, I want to know answers to the questions of, do we have free will, or did God determine everything? I would love to have an absolute answer to that. Do you think I will in my life? 
I see some people smiling because they probably asked this question 30 years ago and they still don't have a good answer to this question. Um, I would love to unlock all the mysteries of the earth and the reality might be that those are reserved for God. But the encouragement that I have for all of us is I don't think throwing our hands up in the air and saying that's not worth seeking after is good enough. I think the process of going after the hard answers, the things that don't seem to make sense, the things that confuse us, the things that scare us in the Bible and about God are really important to delve into. Because those things have more of a practical, those conversations have a practical effect on our life. When I have that conversation with Rochelle, yes, we may not know for certain if God is dictating my actions or if it's me in charge, but we grew closer together. And it's very important that we are open as a church and open as Christians and people who follow Christ that we are open to talk about God and talk about the scripture so that we learn. One of the things that I've seen in my life is sometimes the Bible can be so unapproachable to us. Sometimes we make it so unapproachable because we just give up from the start and say, hey, that's for God to know and I can't know anything, that we stop learning. And I think this is something really important that we need to get out of the habit of is not to learn so that we become God because we never will. You have to approach it with humility, but go into all of these situations. Don't be afraid to ask the people in church questions about the Bible, questions about God, and don't be afraid if somebody in the church has a different opinion than you. Does that ever happen? Sure does. We have a responsibility to grow and learn from each other, but also to teach and to edify each other and to build each other up. I'm going to end with that same Bible verse that I read before, but I love it from Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For those of us in Christ, that is the goal. We want to know what God's will is and what it means for our life. And that's hard work. And that requires getting into Scripture, which that's the easy part. The hard part is being open and humble to talk to each other about this. Any last thoughts before we close? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Learning from the Spirit. Really good. Anybody else? All right. Well, if you want to talk, I'm here. You're released. Have a good day.